0: The Book of Ruth is a beautiful story centered on Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. We see God and God's people reflecting God, His kindness, and redemptive work. If you want to dig deeper into the text, you need to keep listening. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review Ruth a volume from the Anchor Yale Bible Commentary, or AYBC for short, by Edward F. Campbell Jr. 188 pages, published by Yale University Press in May 2003. It's available in Amazon as a paperback for $31.99. Strangely, there isn't a Kindle version. If you want an electronic version, you can head over to Logos, which is offering this book for free. September. I'm quite excited for today's review. This commentary on Roof is the uh, the free book for September and it just so happened uh, by God's providence that I just concluded a sermon series on, guess what, Roof. For the month of August, the one that just passed, there were four Sundays and that meant four sermons for the four chapters in Roof. So, my head is still living in the barley fields of Bethlehem. Now, if you are a new listener, I just want to very quickly say that while I try to spend equal time reviewing light and heavy books, uh, no matter what books I'm reading, my aim is to make sure you gain something out of the review, no matter where you come from. Whether or not you are familiar with the book of Ruth, or whether or not you are familiar with the technicalities of studying the Bible. There will be some technical terms ahead in this episode, which is true um, for any field. I mean, you're going to have technical terms whether you're doing photography or dressmaking, but don't let the photographers, dressmakers, or theologians' uh, technical talk detract you from what you can gain here. So enough with that. Let's just get to the book. The first thing to note is the The Anchor Yale Bible Commentary Series describes itself as quote, a project of international and interfaith scope in which Protestant, Catholic and Jewish scholars from many countries contribute individual volumes. The project is not sponsored by any ecclesiastical organization and is not intended to reflect any particular theological doctrine, end quote. So unlike other commentaries that you may be familiar with, the AYBC is an interfaith project and you may ask how useful can a commentary series be if there is no theological tradition to bring them together to give a coherent voice as we as the as a series now surprisingly uh, this commentary is very useful as you will hear from today's episode the book is divided into two main parts the introduction and the commentary In the introduction, you will find, among many things, a discussion on the genre of the book. Campbell says it's a novella, which implies that the book of Ruth is fictional. He tells us, uh, within the introduction, he tells us about the original manuscripts related to Ruth, and um, it's... This, even though this book is very tiny, it's only four chapters, it's not as simple as I thought. Uh, there's quite a lot of complications regarding the, the original manuscripts and how uh, it came about. So there is quite a lot of technical talk on the literature, the history, and the theology, which can be very dry if not for the clarity and enthusiasm that Campbell brings to this commentary. At one point in the introduction, Campbell burst in spontaneous praise. I quote, I stand in awe of this author. He was a genius, end quote. And that is, uh, Campbell uh, is in awe throughout the whole commentary. He just tells us, look at how the author has structured the story. Look at how he uses wordplay. Look at this amazing piece of literature. Campbell's genuine love for the subject and his attempt to get into the mind of the author does make it easier for readers to overcome the technical hurdles along the way. His enthusiasm can be contagious. Yet, you may not like how Campbell begins his book and be tempted to close the book, not willing to read any further. Because as I mentioned earlier, um, Campbell is, believes that this is a book of fiction. Uh, Campbell stands in awe awe of this genius. He thinks that it is not a historical book. Now, in this introduction, he tells us how other scholars have tried to draw out earlier versions of Ruth. For example, one scholar suggests that initially the story only had Naomi, and then Ruth was later added on. Another scholar says that the story of Ruth came from a piece of poetry perhaps an old nursery tale. Now, to me, all these discussions are very, very bizarre because a lot of it is very speculative. And I was relieved somewhat to read uh, Campbell concluding that trying to trace the development of Ruth is a blind alley in the research. However, my relief is uh, short-lived. In a subsection titled Historicity, Campbell says... The better question is not whether Roof is historical, but whether it's plausible. After affirming that there is much historical accuracy in the book, Campbell concludes, I quote, This in no way diminishes the judgment that the Roof book contains a fictional story. It is simply a plausible one, and its information is a good guide to life and custom and to realistic expectations about human living under the rule of God, end quote. And it is after this paragraph that he says, he stands in awe of the author. He was a genius. A genius, in his view, not for the history that he recorded, but for the story that he made up. I disagree with Campbell, and I hope that you do too. At the same time, I also hope that you will get this book, read it, and use it as a resource. Campbell believes that Ruth is not historical. I believe it is. So consider this. What does it mean if our starting position is different, mine and Campbell's, but our conclusions on some passages are the same? It could suggest that these conclusions are not dependent on prior assumptions, but stand alone based on the text itself. I read it that way, Campbell reads it that way, we reach the same conclusion. So that is somewhat reassuring, isn't it? On the other hand, what does it mean if our conclusions are different? Well, I think that it could prompt us to study and read a bit more and try to figure out why we differ and how did we arrive at those positions, at those conclusions. Now, everybody who reads a commentary should know this, but my repeating this is a good reminder for all. When we when we read a commentary, we are joining a conversation with knowledgeable people, other very, very knowledgeable people, but we are not going under an authority in addition to scripture. Now, the big test is whether you can trace the steps to reach your favorite theological position without naming names. As you can tell, the introduction was surprisingly spicy, but we still have the main dish, which is the commentary itself. There are seven chapters in the commentary. Each chapter is divided into three sections, translation, notes, and comments. Campbell did his own translation of the original manuscript, which is different to the the translations that you have in some parts, and he explains and defends his translation in the notes. The notes is where you get the fullness of his scholarship. He gets into the original manuscript, the Hebrew, the grammar, the meaning, and and cites and engages with fellow scholars on these matters. If you don't know your Qumran and Syriac manuscripts, your J and E narrative, the masculine plural ending and reflexive nifal form, then you could skip this uh, section and just go straight to the comments section. Now, if you only read the comments section, you will finish the book quite quickly and you will know what Campbell thinks of the book and the passages in Ruth. If you want to know how he substantiates uh, these uh, positions, then you can always just go back to the notes where he does give uh, reasons for his uh, positions. Now, if you are using this book as a reference and you're not reading this book cover to cover, then you can easily just zoom and just uh, go straight to that word or verse and see what scholars are saying about it. Now, I've given you a broad layout of the land of this book and now I would like to be uh, like Ruth and I'll go into the field, I will glean some fruit of the land and I will share them with you. The first thing I want to check when I read any commentary on Ruth is how does the commentary writer understand Naomi's complaint? Now, Naomi has lost her husband and her two sons. She asks her two daughters, daughter-in-laws to leave her. Go back to your father's houses. Um, one left, but Ruth refused. Ruth refused to leave Naomi, and she decides to follow Naomi home. And you have that famous verse, which is, your people will be my people, your God, my God. So when the two of them reach Bethlehem, the people in Bethlehem see them, and they call out, is that Naomi? Naomi says in Ruth 1, verse 20 to 21, she says this, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? End quote. Let me just give you uh, Campbell's uh, translation. It is a bit more colourful but it is perhaps a bit more clear uh, for this part. I quote, Don't call me sweet one, call me bitter one, for Shaddai has made me bitter indeed. I was full when I went away, but empty Yahweh has brought me back. Why call me sweet one, for Yahweh has testified against me, and Shaddai has pronounced evil sentence on me. End quote. So, Naomi here says very strong words, no matter which translations you use, uh, these are very very strong words about God and what God has done to Naomi. So how do you take it? How do you understand what Naomi has said? Is Naomi wrong to say such things? Do we say that she is speaking out of her grief and thus out of compassion, out of uh, kindness? We should not take her words seriously, don't? put it against her? Or do we say that she is speaking clearly, soberly, about who God is, that there is biblical truth here and thus we must listen carefully to understand the believer's relationship to suffering? Now, in his commentary, Campbell analyzes the use of the Hebrew word return, which is uh, frequently used in uh, chapter 1, and how the how the storyteller in Ruth understands God's activity and hesed kindness and covenant and the legal aspect of Naomi's complaint. And looking through all these things, he he then leads the reader to his conclusion, which is, I quote, not only is complaint tolerated by God, but it can even be the proper stance of a person who takes God seriously. Anyone who ascri- ascribes full sovereignty to a just and merciful God may expect to encounter the problem of theodicy, and to wrestle with that problem is no sin, even when it leads to an attempt to put God on trial. Petulant Jonah, earnest Jeremiah, Persistent Job, Naomi stands in their company. A commentary is, uh, as I hope to to have shown you, is useful, Uh, is helpful when you know what you don't know and you want to uh, find out, so you go to the relevant page to find the answer to your burning question. How do I deal with uh, Naomi's complaint? At the same time, a commentary is especially enlightening when you don't know what you don't know. For example, did you know that Ruth uses different words for servant? In chapter 2, when she responds to Boaz's kindness to her, for he was letting her glean in the field and letting her drink and protecting her and other acts of kindness, uh, Ruth says to Boaz, You have spoken kindly to your servant. The word for servant here is sifah. the Hebrew word sifah in chapter three, when she comes to Boaz in the night to ask him to be her redeemer, she says, "Spread your wings over your servant." The word for servant here is ama, ama, the Hebrew word. So now you, you can't tell this from the English translation, and and I'll just say it here that there is probably nothing uh, to Ruth's changing words for servant. Translators and commentators. Uh, Say the two words are synonymous, They, they carry the same meaning. But Campbell shares a fascinating bit of trivia. I quote, Over a century ago, a damaged inscription was found on a tomb facade nearly buried beneath a home in the village of Silwan, across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. End quote. Campbell tells us that a scholar by the name of Avigad was the first to make sense of that inscription. The inscription on the tomb reads, I quote, This is the sepulchre of Yahu who is over the house. There is no silver and no gold here, but his bones and the bones of his ama with him. Cursed be the man who will open this. Avigad translated amah here as slave wife. Surely this is correct. It is more likely that Amah was indeed a beloved slave wife than that she was buried with her lord simply in order to serve him in the netherworld. End quote. So, again, very interesting. Uh, again, it it's possible, it's possible that Amah was just simply a servant, just uh, any lowly servant. Uh, the, the thing that he suggests over here is that it's more. It's more than a servant. There is a sense of a wife. Now, Personally, I don't think this clinches the case. I think this begs more questions than it answers. But if there is a shift in meaning, there is a purpose behind Ruth using sifa in the first, in the chapter two, and amma in chapter three. That means there is an intentional suggestion of marriage when Ruth speaks to Boaz. Then that also means that Boaz is one of the few men in history who actually got the hint. So. This is an example of uh, me coming to this book and not knowing what I didn't know and profiting from the labors of scholars. You see, they have done the hard work of digging up a tomb. They translated the inscription, they connected a word found in that that obscure inscription that you and I never knew existed, and then they connected that to what Ruth says into Boaz, and thus giving us a a flavor, okay, to the scene. And all we had to do was just open a book and read, and then we have benefited from this. Now, this is, as I said earlier on, it is inconsequential. It is a piece of trivia. It is, uh, again, it adds some flavor, but it doesn't change the the sense of the the story. It has no major impact uh, one way or the other. So let me just share my last example of what I learned from this book and what you can expect to learn from this book. And it is the the one part of the book that made me most uncomfortable. As I mentioned just now, Ruth went to Boaz at night to ask him to be a redeemer. The way she did it is not something pastors would tell young, vulnerable, single woman to do. For Ruth went to Boaz at the place where the men were working, the... You know, they were harvesting and uh, winnowing the wheat and so on. And the men were working in the middle of the night. Okay, It's dark. And what she did was she uncovered his feet and laid down by his feet. So that's not something your pastor would do, uh, would advise you if you're doing on a courtship. This is scandalous. Okay? It's scandalous. That time is also scandalous for us in this time. And Campbell tells us there is more to the scandal. <laughs> he tells us that as the storyteller, okay, as, as the storyteller in Ruth tells a story, the Hebrew listeners will hear words with double meaning. For example, when a man lays with a woman, it can have two meanings in English and also in Hebrew. There are two meanings. One is a sex, the other is just laying down. But the scripture says that Ruth lay at Boaz's feet. So the word lay sort of hints at something that could happen. Another word with double meaning, which is uh, peculiar to the Hebrew, is the Hebrew word to know. In Hebrew, for a man to know a woman can can mean to know her in an intimate manner. Naomi told Ruth to not make herself known to Boaz until he has finished eating and drinking, and there are other things. Okay, there are these are just two examples, but there are other other parts that made me really uncomfortable. At one point, I actually wondered whether um, Professor Campbell had a dirty mind because he seems to see sex everywhere. But again. When I look at his reasons and, uh, the, and the words that he talks about, I mean, there is substance behind it. He's not just making things up. Laying down does have that meaning. Uh, to know does have that meaning. And the way he explains those other words, I can see why he would say that. So here's the problem. For thousands of years, Ruth and Boaz, the story of Ruth and Boaz, have been examples of a chase and pure relationship. Is Campbell telling us that it's all a lie? that in fact, to the Hebrew listeners, they actually did it? Now, I, that's why I got very, very uncomfortable. Uh, Campbell then writes, okay, I quote, Does this roster of Daba and tandres uh, mean that the storyteller is simply seeking to titillate his audience? Emphatically not. His intent is much more serious than that, having led his audience to participate in the mystery and ambiguity of the scene, he obviously means to say that it is of extreme importance whether or not here at the threshing floor things will go forward according to what Israelite custom and Israelite chesed, uh, kindness, uh, living calls for. So, end quote. So, here he's, he's saying that there is purpose behind all these uh, double meaning words, okay? There is this tension and uh, and the audience is now wondering what will happen. And, and truly, as I was reading this, I was also participating in that mystery, which became a lot more mysterious and ambiguous because he highlights these uh, Hebrew words. And so I was wondering, did they or didn't they? Am I, did I believe a lie or what? And thankfully, he does not leave us hanging. There's no cliffhanger. Uh, Campbell uses the Hebrew, once again, to set our hearts at ease. I quote, once again, the storyteller signals us the verb he uses um, is not lie down, that ambiguous term, but the Hebrew lin, to lodge. The same term Ruth had used in her avowal to Naomi in chapter 1 verse 16. No ambivalence here. This term is never used in the Hebrew Bible with any sexual undertone. The dark ambiguity gives way to the clarity of the kinds of human commitments which characterize this story. Now it becomes clear that both of these people are worthy and will do things in righteous fashion. End quote. So, huh. <laughs> I, I thankfully, I, I didn't have to struggle with the idea of... Uh, thinking through whether uh, did they or did they not. I mean, imagine how complicated uh, our Christian life would be, Christian teaching, preaching, and living would be if the storyteller had instead chose to write, Ruth lay down with Boaz while waiting for the sun to rise. Or if he wrote down, uh, uh, Boaz uh, said to Ruth, since we are here, let us get to know each other now even if those sentences really reflected an uh, innocent reality the choice of those words would compromise their reputation will, will raise suspicions and potentially give license for christians today to for loose living if ruth and boaz can do that why can't i since they were so highly commended in the bible so thankfully, uh, the, the Hebrew word here, as, uh, as uh, Campbell tells us, is very clear. There is no sexual undertone despite there being that sort of uh, uh, teasing out or that sort of uh, uh, tension building up in the story. So that's something you get from this uh, commentary. So just to round up, all right, on this uh, Campbell's commentary on Ruth from the Anchor Yale Bible Commentary Series, it is a good book. It's great to get into the Hebrew um, and get into the grammar and literary aspect. I would use it as a reference, but not as a main commentary. You can call me old-fashioned or nitpicking, but I think it's important that uh, that my main uh, commentary, uh, my main reference, uh, looks at Ruth as a historical record rather than a fictional story, no matter how well-crafted that story may be. Um, I use a bunch of commentaries for my sermon prep, so let's just go through uh, some of them very, very quickly. The, one of them I use is the New International Commentary on the Old Testament by Robert Hubbard Jr. Uh, that's all right. Uh, Tyndale's by Leon Morris, also very dependable, reliable. I've also enjoyed reading the Reform Expository uh, Commentary. And for Roof, that's done by uh, Ian uh, Duguid. Um, there are some parts which I disagree I think this is the one where uh, he was a bit more critical on Naomi than I think I would Um, but I just want to make a special mention for commentary that maybe you would not have thought about or picked up or it doesn't come up in some list. And that is the one from the New Studies in Biblical Theology, NSBT. The title of this commentary is Unceasing Kindness, A Biblical Theology of Ruth by Peter H.W. Lau and Gregory Goswell. It's not a verse-by-verse commentary like the others, but it is very useful. It helped me pay attention to God's kindness and hiddenness and uh, the Book of Ruth's place in the canon. I thoroughly recommend it. It's very good reading. And I think that after you reading it, when you read the other commentaries and you read the Book of Roof, a lot of things do um, come into place. Okay, The things do uh, make sense. I also want to mention a commentary on Roof that deserved a Razi Award um, for being the worst. I nominate the one uh, from the Barrett Olam series by Todd Linafeld. Now compare Linafeld against Campbell. Campbell, in the Anchor Year commentary, said we should not take the ca- we should take we should take the characters as the storyteller presents them, and not see Ruth as a scheming woman trying to butter up a vain old man. That makes sense, and I think that Campbell might be thinking of uh, scholars like Linafeld. He didn't say so, uh, but listen to this: Linafeld, in uh, on the other hand, in the Barrett Orlan commentary, wrote. This. Okay? I'm quoting from this uh, Linefeld. Boaz, the kindly and pious pillar of the community, slips easily into a blustering, paternalistic figure who is caught off guard by the surprisingly quick thinking and mock differential Ruth. When Ruth appears next to Boaz in the middle of the night in chapter 3, he is clearly flustered, more than a little frightened, and acquiesces to her suggestions quite easily. End quote. And there is more, I don't want to say more. I have very little patience with Lina uh, creativity and highly speculative uh, analysis. So if you are going to study Roof, my advice, my recommendation is to get the new studies in biblical theology, um, the one by Peter Lau and Gregory Goswell, and to stay far away from the Barrett Olam uh, commentary by Lina unless you are in the mood for alternate history novels. So uh, this is a very nice uh, commentary, the Anchor Yale one. Uh, Again, just to say that it's a good reference. They go into the literature, good Hebrew. There are things you can learn, especially things that you didn't know that you didn't know. And uh, with that, this is a Reading and Reader's Review of Ruth from the Anchor Yale Bible Commentary AYBC series by Edward F. Campbell, Jr. 188 pages published by Yale University Press in May 2003. Available in Amazon as a paperback for $31.99 and free in Logos for September and only September. So if you want to listen to reviews on books that you will never intend to read, subscribe to Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. I will read them so you don't have to. Joking aside The books I review Are not always so heavy It's a 50-50 thing So the next book Should hopefully be A bit more light-hearted And maybe fun Maybe Subscribe and find out What's the next book And uh, thanks for listening